Very good morning, Amokyo family. Now, as we embark towards our 43rd church anniversary happening in October, the pastors and I felt that it would be good to cover a short Old Testament book uh, which revolves around our church team, Home with a Heart. A book that exemplifies 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, Love Never Fails. And so, for two Sundays in September and two Sundays in October, we will be preaching from the book of Ruth. To guide us through this short Old Testament pulpit series, we will be using Bishop Gordon Wong's book, The Power of Love, as our reference. Now, it is not necessary for you to get this book, but it's important that we give credit to our source as we preach through the book of Ruth. Come, let us pray as we begin. O Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, and most importantly, the actions thereafter, in our lives, be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story of Ruth begins with a man, his wife, and two sons. In the year I was born, the Academy Award winner for uh, award for Best Picture, Timothy Hutton, Donald Sutherland, and Mary Tyler Moore also tells the story of a man, his wife, and two sons. When the mother's favorite son dies in a drowning accident, her well-ordered life begins to disintegrate. She pretends to herself and to her friends that she is okay, she has learned to cope with this tragic loss of her son. But in truth, she has not coped well at all. She numbs her hearts and emotions and consequently loses all ability to show any kindness or love. Her surviving son feels the coldness that emanates from her. The coldness exacerbates the feelings of guilt that her son already feels. He too was on the boat when it killed over. Could he have done anything to save his brother? Why didn't he die also or instead? The grieving boy attempts suicide. Her husband also struggles. He struggles to understand his wife and his surviving, to, uh, surviving son. He feels frustrated at being unable to help the two people closest to him. Does anyone recall what the title of the film is? It won Academy Award in 1981, the year I was born. The film was entitled Ordinary People, based on a book of the same name. Ordinary people, can this be right? Do ordinary families experience such tragedy and trouble? Well, the sad reality is that death comes early for some and tragedies such as suicide do happen amongst Christians too. I'm 40 years old this year, and rather unfortunately, I have lost count of the number of times I had to conduct a wake or a funeral of people who died before the age of 40. From babies born with congenital conditions to children and young adults who tragically die of illnesses or even suicide. So yes, the film and the book title are right. Ordinary People. People who live among us, people just like you and me. Ordinary people do face tragedies. And it is such ordinary people that we find in the book of Ruth. Look again at verse 1. It is a time of economic hardship, a famine in the land. So the family of four migrates to Moab looking for greener pastures, like the many immigrants to Singapore and those who might, we might know who have migrated overseas. But no place on earth guarantees a life free from sadness and sorrow. No matter where we go, green pastures can turn into arid deserts. 
And COVID really is the prime example of this. COVID has caused many to fall into economic hardship and he has devastated cities and countries and even prosperous Singapore is not spared. But that's not the worst thing to happen in the book of Ruth. Look at verse 3. The father of the family passes away in a foreign land. Now his widow Naomi faces the challenge of raising two sons on her own in a foreign land, far from home, far from relatives, or alone. Imagine her daily struggle just to survive. Right now, I can think of some among us who also struggle just to survive. But somehow, she does, and her two sons get married. Verse 4 tells us they lived in Moab for 10 years. But then verse 5, more tragedies strike. Both sons die. We have no further information on why the two sons die, and there is no reason to think that their deaths were unusual. You see, death and bereavement occur in the lives of ordinary people. Ordinary people then, ordinary people today. Because the two sons died without having fathered any children, Naomi decides that she is better off back home. Moab has been a place of deep grief, deep tragedy, and there's nothing left for her in this foreign land, foreign country that has been home for the past 10 years. And this is how the book of Ruth begins. The rest of the book reveals how Naomi struggles, returns back home, or struggles to make ends meet, how she tries to achieve some kind of social respectability, and how she struggles with the question of why God has made her life so bitter and painful. And so this is what the book of Ruth is really concerned about, the struggles of an ordinary woman confronted by personal tragedy, bereavement, loneliness, and the basic need for survival. The book of Ruth teaches us that the God of the Bible cares about ordinary people, ordinary people with personal problems and pains. The Bible teaches us that God is not a God who is high and mighty, one who only stands on the side of kings and queens, but God, for the most part, identifies with the poor, the lowly, the weak, the outcasts. God is not just concerned with the macro problems of entire cities and nations, but God cares deeply about personal problems by individuals. That's the first lesson from the book of Ruth. God cares for ordinary people like you and me. Second, as TTC lecturer, Reverend Dr. Edmund Fong reminded us last week, I believe the book of Ruth teaches us that it's okay to not feel okay. It's okay to not feel okay even when our disappointment and anger is directed towards God. We feel Naomi's bitterness in verse 13. No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Even verse 18 might be an indication of Naomi's bitterness or numbness within her. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she ceased speaking to her. That's how the author literally wrote it in Hebrew. Naomi stopped speaking to Ruth. Did Naomi give Ruth the cold shoulder because she's already so emotionally tired and drained? Maybe. Or perhaps her silent response is meant to speak loudly. I'm giving up on you. I give up because God has given up on me. You do what you want. I simply don't care anymore. Now, if I have read too much into verse 18, by verses 20 to 21, Naomi's bitter sorrow and disillusionment with life and God is made explicit. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now she's unable to feel God's love in her life. How could she? Her husband, her two sons have died. All she has left is a daughter-in-law who is a foreigner. The young people and gamers uh, nowadays, they have a lingo for this feeling of being unfairly disadvantaged by someone or something overwhelmingly powerful. They use these two letters, OP, overpowered. And in this case, God is OP, the overpowering one. And Naomi feels completely overpowered by God. You see, Naomi's name actually means sweet and pleasing. But now, she says her sweet life is mara, bitter, bitter. Do you know someone like Naomi? Or perhaps you feel like Naomi yourself. Instead of a happy and pleasant life, there is despair and hopelessness all around. You may have lost a loved one. Your work could have been negatively impacted by COVID. All your results are not good enough to get you into the course of your choice. Your health or your loved one's health keeps deteriorating despite fervent prayers. Or we just can't seem to get the breakthrough we long for. And perhaps the worst is seeing fellow believers being blessed. But our lives just keep getting from bad to worse. Why doesn't God help? Why doesn't God seem to answer our prayer? Why has our life turned from sweet to bitter, from good to bad, and then from bad to worse? Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The book of Ruth, just like the sermon last week, teaches us that it's okay to feel not okay. Like the psalmist in Psalms 42 and 43, Naomi too feels forgotten and forsaken by God. OP, overpowered. The book of Ruth is written for people like Naomi, people like you and me, ordinary people faced with agonies and tragedies in today's world. And like Dr. Emma Fong preached last week, feeling downcast is a legitimate experience. But is there really no answer and no remedy from God's word, from the story of Naomi on how we can persevere on in the midst of our pain? Is there really no answer? Thankfully, even in the bitterness of Naomi's life, there is a glimmer of hope. And that leads us to four pastoral reminders for today. Number one, God's answer to our prayers may come in a way we don't expect. God's answer to our prayers may come in a way we don't expect. In Naomi's case, it came in the form of Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who is a Moabitess. Now, originally, the Moabites were related to the Israelites. If you read the book of Genesis, you will know that Abraham's cousin is Lot. And because Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, Lot's lineage was carried on by uh, his two daughters. We know it's incest, you know it's wrong, but that's the history. And Genesis 19 verse 37 tells us the older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. And so he became the father of the Moabites. But some generations later, in Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3, he records, No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Not even in the 10th generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt, and they hired Balaam to pronounce a curse on you 
However, the Lord your God will not listen to Balaam but turn the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you shall live. Now, these are serious prohibitions. It also raises a serious question of whether God has contradicted his own laws when Ruth eventually becomes a part of Israel's uh, royal lineage. But let's put that question aside. But we see here, God's answer to Naomi's prayer came in the form of someone who is completely unexpected. Can a Moabitess, someone who is outside of God's will, become God's answer to our prayers? According to this book of Ruth, the answer is yes. And according to Jesus, the answer is also a yes. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? The man who eventually helped the person in need was not the priest nor the Levite. Instead, it was the Samaritan, the ones, the one whom Israelites consider as filthy and corrupted because of their mixed lineage. Now, if you don't already know, Samaritans were people from the northern tribes of Israel, and they were dispersed and had intermarried with Gentiles. And so the rest of the pure, you know, Jewish people who consider this group of people as impure, unclean. Yet Jesus' parable highlights that help came from the unlikeliest of place. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see help coming from very unexpected places. Moses was drawn out of the water by the unlikeliest person ever, Miss Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter. Then the one who gave Moses sound leadership advice was Jethro, his father-in-law, a Midianite, not an Israelite. And the person in the New Testament, chiefly responsible for feeding the 5,000 besides Jesus himself, was a little boy, young boy who offered his five loaves and two fish. Help coming from unexpected places. If anything, the book of, Re- of Ruth reminds us it's not necessarily the pastor or the priest you know, who often brings relief. Now, I'm not downplaying the role of pastors, but I think it is important to remind all of us that ordinary people may well provide the best solutions to the problems of ordinary people. Let me say that again. Ordinary people may well provide better solutions, the best solutions to the problems of ordinary people. In fact, sometimes non-Christians may well be God's answer to our prayers. My point is that we mustn't be so fixated that God must answer our prayers in only one particular way. God is the God of the universe and He is more than capable of answering all our prayers if only we remain open to surprising and unexpected ways in which God answers our prayers. Now to be clear, I'm not suggesting that we consult temple mediums you know, or other spirits uh, for help or buying lottery when we're in financial trouble. I'm not saying that we should change our allegiance to Christ in any way. What I'm simply suggesting is that God's answer to our prayers may come in an unexpected way. Perhaps you have a helper who has been serving you faithfully for years even though she's not a believer. Or you have an unbelieving family member who has patiently walked alongside despite differences in religion. Or maybe you have a colleague who may be very vulgar with words but very loving in action. Now, these ordinary people, whether they be Christians or not, may well be God's answer to your prayers, to your prayers for help in this difficult season of your life. Second pastoral reminder, God's answer to our prayers may come in the form of a seed, not just unexpected, but in the form of a seed. As we all know, a seed looks very different from the plant or tree that eventually grows into. 
And it's very easy also for us then to mistake that God has not answered our prayers when in fact God has already begun answering, except it doesn't look quite look like the answer we have been expecting. You see, Naomi went to Moab in search of a better life. She returned to Israel still in search of a better life. She may have certain expectations of what that better life looks like. And we all have expectations of what better life looks like. Many of us know the story of Ruth well. We know how it ends. But here in chapter 1, there is simply no knowing that how you know Ruth will eventually turn out to be Naomi's answer for a truly better life. If you had said to Naomi at this point in her life that her daughter-in-law is God's answer to her prayers for a better life, Naomi probably would have laughed at you. Come on, how can that be? She's a foreigner and she's a Moabitess. One of my favorite hymns is this uh, hymn, Hymn of Promise. Hymn of Promise. And this is how the hymn goes. In the balm there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree. In cocoons, a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be. Unrevealed until that season, something God alone can see. See, unknown to Naomi, God's answer to her prayers for a better life came in a seed form, in roof. Friends, I don't know what you are praying to God for, but I want to remind us of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't ever despise the days of small beginnings. Many great breakthroughs begin with small beginnings. Don't make the mistake of assuming that God did not answer your prayers just because the prayers didn't turn out the way you expected. God may already have planted a seed somewhere in your life as his answer to your prayers. But a seed takes time to grow. Third pastoral reminder for all of us, God's answer to our prayers may come as a quiet, enduring presence of steadfast love. God's answer to our prayers may come as a quiet, enduring presence of steadfast love. There is no doubt that the crux of chapter 1 is found in verses 16 and 17, where Ruth demonstrates unflinching loyalty to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Let me read at verse 16. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if even death separates you and me. You see, Ruth's love for Naomi is the kind of self-sacrificial love I preached about when I preached on 1 Corinthians 13 earlier this year. Love never fails. Love never fails. A quiet, enduring, self-sacrificial, steadfast kind of love. Ruth, an ordinary person, demonstrated extraordinary love. God's unconditional, enduring, has said, faithful love. I've seen many times how Amokyo cell groups have demonstrated this kind of extraordinary love on many occasions. Whether their cell member is living with a debilitating illness or in walking through death's dark valley, I've seen how many cell members, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
they just rally around, they support in prayer, they encourage through WhatsApp messages, and they even cook food, buy groceries, so and so forth. I've seen this happen countless times. And I'm confident that we have demonstrated this kind of steadfast love and will continue and continue to grow even in showing more and more of this kind of steadfast love towards one another and towards the world. You see, sometimes God doesn't take out take us out of the valleys, but He sends people, ordinary people, brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk with us faithfully in the valleys. That may be God's answer to our prayers. Fourth and final pastoral reminder for all of us, as much as we seek for God's answer to our prayers, it may well be that as you listen to the sermon, the Holy Spirit is prompting you of this final pastoral reminder. You may well be God's answer to other people's prayers. You may well be God's answer to other people's prayer. Maybe this is one reason why God does not spare His people from the same effects caused by plagues and pandemics, diseases and disasters, tragedies and torments. It is for us to empathize with those who are suffering. Therefore, in as much as we cry out to God for help and that God cares about us as ordinary people, God also desires to heal our broken world to bring hope to other ordinary people through us. Ordinary broken people to experience God's extraordinary perfect love through us. As I heard Dr. Edmund Fong's sermon last week, two images came into my mind. First, the church can be seen like a soldier supporting another wounded fellow soldier, both limping, struggling in the battlefield, but supporting Nonetheless, the second image that came to my mind is that of a, like a nurse patiently nursing a sick patient back to health. The church is supposed to be like that, to be God's answer to someone else's prayer, that we support those who are weak. Let me conclude and summarize. Naomi's story really is all our stories in one way or another. Naomi's story reminds us that God cares for us, ordinary people. It reminds us that it's okay to feel not okay, or even feeling overwhelmed and overpowered by God. But Ruth's faithful love reminds us that God's answer to our prayers may come in an unexpected way. It may come in the form of a seed. It may come in the demonstration of steadfast loyalty and extraordinary love by people around us, it may also remind us that we may be God's answer to someone else's prayer. Who might you be as God's answer to someone else's prayer today? Come, let us pray. Oh Lord, I pray, if truly you will allow and make our church by the power of your Holy Spirit, Amoko Church, a church that lives like roof, a home with a heart, ordinary people, yet filled and overflowing with extraordinary, enduring, steadfast love. Do this by the power of your Holy Spirit for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.